Hello and a very warm welcome to yet another episode of Asta Unplugged, the podcast series where you hear some real talk. And today we're going to talk about something which we we quite often talk about, um, managing and navigating conflicts at your workplace. Now, I know all of you, those who are watching, listening, uh, you know, we all go through these conflicts and you know, invariably, there is a lot around it that needs to be learned, spoken about. We know it at the level of knowledge a lot of times, but when it comes to really doing it, implementing it, how do I steer to it? There's always a question mark. So join me in welcoming our guest for today, Jamie Mason Cohen, who is a very, very powerful leadership coach. And why do I call him a powerful leadership coach? Because he works with leaders in helping them discover their unique leadership style. Now, isn't that quite interesting? You know, because where we talk about being a certain way, uh, being a certain kind of leader, following the stereotype, he talks about, you know, your unique style and how about discovering and pursuing that. Now, that's some real authenticity, isn't it? So I'm really excited because that is going to definitely open up a lot of things with respect to uh, managing conflicts. And you all are in for a treat, for sure. Yeah. So, Jamie, a very, very warm welcome to you. And I'm really excited. Thank you for that warm intro, Asta. You're welcome. Uh, so, Jamie, we, we are going to be talking about conflicts today. Now, this is a very hot one because um, there are conflicts all around, all the time. And I think whenever two people come together, uh, you know, there is... There are conflicts by virtue of so many different things, the different thinking styles, the belief systems, you know, and uh, a whole set of things. So I want to start by understanding, uh, you know, fundamentally, we use this term so loosely, conflicts, conflicts, conflicts. How would you define uh, workplace conflicts? And then a little bit on the level or the depth of impact that these conflicts have, let's say, on individuals and teams. I would just simply define it as a disagreement between two people that has a tangible impact on productivity, on the culture, which you can't always uh, see, but you feel culture, and also on people's mental well-being. Mm -hmm. on, a, on a level of what you asked is, how does that impact an organization? Is that what you meant by that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, it impacts people's, number one, it impacts their productivity because if people are showing up and they're stressed out and they're uncomfortable because the person that they're working on a project with is rude, is uh, not communicating in a way that's helpful, that they feel is not someone who is supportive of them, if it's a manager, not only does it impact how they work, it impacts their mental health. And the studies have shown us that people who get along, who want to come to work, to work for a manager, they are more excited, they're more engaged, and they help the company more directly on so many levels. Now, I just want to leave you with this part. This blew me away when I heard this. There's been data over the last 20 years that shows people don't leave companies. 
they leave managers. So if you are managing a group of people, it could be three people or it could be a thousand people. If your team likes to work for you, if they respect you, if they want to get up in the morning because they feel this personal sense of purpose and there's clear communication, that is going to make you the type of leader people want to follow and stay with. And the opposite is also true. And it comes back to how we manage conflict that can play the difference between whether people want to stay and work for your company or want to get out of there as soon as the new year comes around. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Makes sense, Jamie. Uh, but tell me, we, we all love, whether it's the leaders or it's the teams, people love being in a conducive environment, uh, in a warm environment. And yet, yet, there are more and more organizations and more and more leaders uh, or teams who are struggling because of these conflicts. What are some of the major causes, you know, where, where people are not able to deal with this despite having the knowledge and understanding of the impact? Some of the core reasons that I've seen. So I work with a whole range of businesses in North America, in Europe and beyond. And one of the ways that I help them is helping to identify and resolve these conflicts. So some of the reasons that people have conflict are, I believe they are unaware or they lack the self-awareness of how they're coming across to people they work with, how their communication style is impacting people. Because to be an effective leader includes being an effective communicator. So if you as a leader, and it might, like I said, be a lack of self-awareness, which is one of the things we're going to tap into today. If you don't understand why someone who you manage or a colleague is distant with you, is looks uncomfortable, it might be on them. You can ask yourself, what can I do differently to connect with this person? What can I do differently to better understand and empathize with this person? And what can I do differently to help them, like you said, feel this sense of inclusion and belonging? So one is people don't feel like they're communicated to in a way that they hear. And it's not what you say, it's what people hear as a leader that matters the most. The second thing is they don't feel like they can be themselves. So psychological safety, which is a buzzword uh, floating around now, started in 1999 by one of the leading experts in this area, Amy Edmondson, who defined this term. And she found that if people don't feel safety, if they don't say to themselves, can I be myself with these people? Then their work quality and their mental health or their enthusiasm of coming to work each day is going to greatly be reduced. So psychological safety is very high. That's another reason they don't feel safe. And the third reason is along those lines is they don't feel appreciated. They don't feel like their ideas, like their, what they bring to the, to your team matters. So we want to make sure that all three of those, we want to improve our communication because people say, that when the leaders don't communicate effectively, it impacts their work. They don't just say it, that's what the data shows us. Two is psychological safety. Can I be myself with these people? And three is, am I? do I feel appreciated? Do I feel like my contribution is valued? Yeah. 
Yeah. And where do you think, so when it comes to the leadership on all these three, uh, there's a big miss there. That's, that's what you're talking about. And what could be a starting point for leaders to, you know, get on this journey of understanding that these are the three important things and I'm missing out here. Um, how much of work is really happening there, like really on the ground? Well, a starting point, a few different starting points, and I believe in really small starting points that are not overwhelming or else we just procrastinate because this topic is not a fun topic to talk about. I know the reason I first started getting interested in this topic and studying it and taking my work experience from the last 25 years is I hate conflict. I do not like having difficult conversations with people. I'm sensitive. I'm an empath. I was diagnosed when I was about five years old. So I grew up saying I really don't want to take the next step because I would rather retreat. So I speak from empathy if you're feeling that way, like, oh, do I really have to do this? Mm. Yes, I think if you want to improve your relationships, both professionally and personally, because personal development is professional development. Okay. If we develop the skills to help us manage conflict, it's going to help us with our spouse or partner, if you have one, with your friends, with your children, and with people you meet on a daily basis. So back to your question, the first thing that we can do, I think, is I'm looking around my room, my office here. Uh, I would get, I don't have exactly, but I would get a journal. <laughs> Not exactly post-it notes. I would get a journal and a pen, and I would write about one conflict that is on your mind that you can't shake there's one person at work there's a manager the ceo there's a customer it's up to you choose your own adventure that is bothering you and i would just write down a few things i would write down the facts what are the facts not bias not no one's opinion what happened or what do you think is going to happen based on the facts? I would then write down what you think is going to happen. What are your fears? Write down your fears. I would then write down what you hope to happen. What would be the best case scenario of what you hope would happen in this conflict? So what are the facts? What are you afraid of? And what do you hope will happen? Now, what this is going to do for you is simple yet profound and practical. This is helping you become more self-aware. This is a form of mindfulness, active mindfulness, instead of just thinking, okay, I'll go in and I'll wing it. What you're doing now is you are allowing yourself the gift of self-reflection. No one's gonna see that journal. No one's gonna see that piece of paper. Yeah. What that will do for you is it will lower anxiety. There was a protocol done where they looked at 200 peer review studies of this type of journaling, looking at the facts, writing down any negative thoughts we had or we were afraid of. And just by doing that, we are lowering our own internal conflict. So before we talk about managing other people, let's manage ourselves because I can't control what you asked me in this podcast. You can't control what I answer. But yes. you can control, right? But you can control how you listen and you improvise based on what I say. And I can control how I answer the questions. So let's focus first on reflecting 
through a journal. And we're talking about 20, this is what I suggest. Do this activity on the same conflict that you're afraid of having or one that you already had that mm. you felt went off the rails and do this for 20 minutes a day for four straight days. This is what the journaling protocol, this is what the science showed. Mm -hmm. When you did this, you low, people lowered their anxiety, their fear of what's to come in this conflict and they managed it more effectively and you'll be happier. And if you're happier, you'll work better. Mm. Is it because you've, one, you've kind of decluttered, you've sorted what is there, plus you've also visualized how do you want it to go? Well, yeah, uh, I'm not a scientist, so I don't know the why the neurological reason is. I can tell you from experience, Asa, that I have done this for over 20 years. There's mm -hmm. other names for it, morning pages, which is stream of consciousness writing. Oh. When you write down negative things, they lower in intensity. This is what the data shows us, the science. Oh. It was called the Penna, it's the Penna Baker Lab in the US that did this wide ranging study on writing. I'm also a handwriting expert. I've spent mm. 25 years studying handwriting analysis and graphology and forensics. And I do this on CNN and Forbes. And I do this on uh, in talks around the world. So I have a real invested interest in understanding this. And I know it works because I do this regularly. Before this podcast, I was writing in my journal mm. in the morning. So when you write down what's negative and a conflict is by nature, a uncomfortable situation between two people. Oh. It lowers that feeling, that emotion, that that uh, that natural anger or irritation that you might be feeling, and that is our first step: is awareness of how we feel with no judgment on ourselves. We put it on paper, and it helps us manage the next step. Mm, wow. Yeah. So, you know, when we talk about conflicts, Jamie, uh, you know, there's a whole variety of relationships that's there in the organizations where, you know, it could be a conflict between a leader and his teammate. It could be, um, you know, just like we were talking, a conflict between two co-workers where maybe, uh, uh, you know, they have no access and it's not leading to anything. And, and how do we even uh, mediate there or navigate that? Uh, so how how you know, do these different conflicts between different kinds of people uh, be worked upon? How do you really go about doing this? When a leader is in a direct conflict with his teammate, what can he do? And versus when his team members are in a state of conflict, what does he do? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a good question. So there's two parts to this question. Yeah. The first part is if you as a manager or you're leading people or even a colleague, yeah. And you are in conflict yes. and it could be more passive because certain cultures around the world, they are less likely to want to air something vocally. It's more under the table. It's unspoken. They're speak, speaking. And that's not really a stereotype or generalization. There's certain cultural norms and it's not everybody in India or everybody in Canada. Yet in certain places, this might apply in a different way. So what I like to call is how to have, I call it a three E conversation. And mm. how did I come up with this? Did I just make it up? No, I experimented with this. I've taken this into groups over, I would say 150 times. And I iterated up based on what works and what the science tells us works. So here's what the three E conversation is. If you 
and I are in disagreement and I am calling the conversation is three E's are the first is we empathize. So at the beginning of a conversation, we want to establish a sense of warmth with our energy. Even if it's someone we don't see eye to eye with and it's awkward, we want to show a human approach. We want to show up as an ally, even if this person might be on the other side ready to fight. That's not in our control. So the first is empathy. The second is evaluation. Evaluation is the content, the substance. In the evaluation component, we want to stick with facts. We want to make sure that we are confronting a hard truth if necessary, and we are touching upon what they might be afraid of. What are the barriers to us moving forward? This is the business case. And then the third part, which so many people forget in the heat of a conflict is elevate. That's the 30, because what is last lasts. So at that end part, the end of that conversation, we want to make sure that that person felt heard. And a few things that we can do are we can not only hold them accountable, but ask them, when do you want to follow up with this? When will this be done? We want to, even if it's one thing out of a hundred, we want them to know that we learned something, we were inspired by something, or even the gift you gave me in this conversation was. And that might be, that might be odd to people to hear that, but that's active listening to a whole other level. Because active listening often is, you and I right now are active listening. I'm yeah. speaking and you're, you're listening for parts that you can expand on. That's good listening or you're reframing it. That's what we're taught. If you want to take active listening to another level when it comes to conflict is you are listening for what you learn from what this person said, even if it's hard to figure that out. You're also telling them what inspired. That's the heart. So you want to leave the conflict if you can. And I know sometimes it might be impossible with certain people. It might feel like that. Speaking at with on the head, that's the evaluation and the heart, which is how we wrap the circle with empathy and elevation. That's the three E framework. And it's not just thinking about that. I do this activity with groups where I have people sit down and say, think of that one conflict, write that person's name or just an X. You don't want to write their name down. Mm -hmm. And I want you to visualize this like a coach, like a cricket coach, like a rugby coach is mapping out a play. And I want you to go through and that's going to keep you from going off the rail. So you need to spend 15 minutes, I believe, to write it out what you think is going to happen. And that's helpful in that one-on-one because when you see that person in person, you're like, oh, I've already gone through this in my head. I've already leaned in to the difficulty I perceive. And it might not be as bad as I thought. And if it's as bad as I thought, I've already thought of plan A, plan B, plan C, and I'm more equipped to manage this professionally and elevate them as well as me. That's what leaders do. Wow. Hmm. So what I'm hearing, Jamie, is uh, this, all of this, you know, what you're talking about, it's powerful, it's beautiful. There is a lot of intentionality which is required here. Would you agree? Uh, so as a leader, I, I understand, I see the implications, but to really put the effort that is needed for me to up the game and uh, up the game, not just for me, for the entire team, requires that intention, requires that work. 
uh, in your experience, how do you really go about it when, when there are leaders who are maybe not willing to put that kind of an effort? And, and all said and done, would you agree that it flows from top to bottom um, the way the structure is? And when it's not working at the top, where the intention is missing maybe for whatever reasons, then it just gets difficult. Yeah, well, to your last point, culture starts at the top. Yeah. So culture stops starts at the top from the CEO down. It also starts from the manager down. And the and every if you work in a mid to big company, you yeah. might have different departments and different silos. And what the research has shown us is that the manager of a specific silo or department, you create the culture of your team. There's not a universal culture of a big company. There's cultures within the bigger culture. And if you as a leader own that and say, I am going to take charge yeah. of the narrative of my team, that is going to make a significant difference. Even if individuals on the team don't see eye to eye, if you model how to have a difficult or a courageous conversation, as I've mapped out a three conversation. Conversations are the culture because every conversation that you have as a leader, it's going to get by to other people are going to hear about it. Of course, within a company, people talk. If you think they don't talk, then you are self-deceptive to a degree. Because as a leader, when you walk in, even if you're on a virtual team, we're speaking virtually, people are noticing how you show up at a Zoom meeting or Microsoft Teams or whatever. People look at if you're in a good mood, if you're in a bad mood, if your tone of voice is open and warm, or if it's rude and direct, and people notice everything as a manager. So you can take the first important step after you write down as a leader how you're feeling with that conflict. If you work on your one-on-one -on -one conversations, people will notice. They'll notice the difference and they won't quite understand why or what's going on, but they'll notice that you're showing up differently. So to your point earlier, if a leader said, I don't have anything to work on, to me, that's what we call arrogance. Mm -hmm. And arrogance is being a know-it-all, not a learn-it-all. Yeah. And I don't think someone would be listening to this podcast right now if they were a know-it-all because leaders are learners. Leaders are facilitators and leaders are coaches. And if you want to improve as a leader, if you want to improve as a human being, if you want to improve as a father, spouse, friend, you're going to improve how you communicate. And once you take that first step, even if it's imperfect, people are going to respond differently to you. They're going to respect you more. They're going to like you more. They're going to engage with you in a different, more vulnerable way. I've seen this. Yeah. And so in comedy, I used to work in comedy many years ago for this famous TV show in the United States. There was something that I learned there, which applies to this. If you don't want to learn this, that's okay. No obligations. This is to help you, not to harm you. If you are not a learner, to me, that's called an ad libber in comedy. If you are a learner, you're an improviser. Improviser is I'm going to plan out the sketch, the comedy sketch, yet there's going to be a little room for me to move based on what my partner's giving me, and that might take me in a different direction, but I'm prepared. So improvising is preparing to succeed as a leader.
ad-libbing is preparing to fail. It's your choice. Yeah, I love that. It's your choice. Every point you have a choice to make. How do you think, or or maybe can you talk a little bit on when when there's a mess, I'm calling it a mess, when there's a mess uh, when it comes to the workplace or professional relationships, there's a ripple effect and, and there's a mess in the other areas too. And similarly, when you when you start working and you get intentional about working on this, then there's a ripple effect even in the other areas. So a lot of leaders, why I'm saying this is because a lot of leaders who come in and who say, well, you know what, there's this, this mess. They have strained relationships back home as well, you know, and, and they have no idea how to deal with it. And that's suffering. This is suffering and they're suffering. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So are you asking, how do you deal with difficulties both at work and at home when it involves other people other than one person if it's a group of people yeah that and and you know uh talking a little bit on how these are related these are not two different things oh you know i this is me in the personal life this is me in the professional life what has this got to do with this kind of a thing so i'm turning a blind eye to my personal stuff leave that alone you know Mm -hmm. kind of a thing. I mean, these are yeah. Mm -hmm. The way you do anything is the way you do everything. Yeah. And so if someone is coming into work and you notice they're off, if you notice that they're not showing up at their best, you could look at it a few different ways. You could say, how dare they come into my workplace or, uh, you know, they're hurting the company because of their attitude. Or you could pull them aside and simply say, hey, is everything okay? And what's fascinating is that the leaders who don't react right away and think they don't take it personally, this person has an attitude, this person's irritable, this person's showing anger. Are they directing it at me? Did I do something? Well, like I said earlier, it, you should take responsibility, I believe, as a leader. Yet, also know that a lot of what people do is their own projections about how they feel inside, about what they're going through. And you don't know if that person, if that mother is coming into work and she just was ill for the last week and she has two kids and she got into a argument with a family member. You don't know what she's coming in with. You don't know if that gentleman who works for you just found out that someone in his family has a incurable disease and they just haven't shared it yet. So before you jump to saying, oh my goodness, people have such attitudes, it's effective to ask your team individually, is everything okay? Is there anything else I can do to make your week better? And then they'll be shocked if you ask that question, if you're actually taking notes with, if they, if they answer that. If they don't wanna answer those questions, you might wanna ask yourself, am I creating a psychologically safe space like we talked about earlier? Because if people trust you, they might open up a bit. They might be a little more vulnerable. So I would absolutely agree with the context of that question is look at the context or do some detective work as to why people are acting the way they do before you jump into they're not performing. They like, I'm going to just rip into them and tell them they need to get it together. 
because mm. that often, when we focus on people's strengths, when we focus on what's working, their productivity raises by 30%. You know what it's like, Asa? It's like uh, the heliotropic effect in nature. What the heliotropic effect in nature is, when the sun, I'm literally here in Cant Toronto, Canada, and there's a lot of light, even though it's about minus four degrees. And when the light hits the front of the sunflower, and I have literally lights here, I blossom, I grow, I expand, even within conflict. If you come in and you tell me, these are all the things that you're doing wrong, and you're hurting this company, and your behavior is unacceptable, and that might be true. Yet that tends to push people down, literally the opposite of the sunflower. It will wilt people. They will feel small. They will dread coming into work. They might even quietly quit as that expression is now worldwide, quiet quitting. Mm -hmm. So raise people up within conflict. Let them know why you hired them for these strengths. Ask them what their personal purpose is. This is really powerful in conflict is having your, I did this yesterday with a group of 30 business owners in Canada mm -hmm. and you should have seen it. Don't, you don't trust me. The organizer said he's never seen this group as engaged in, in any group in 25 years. And they were all experiencing what you're saying. Conflict, uh, emotional distress, uh, burnt out the struggle. Yeah. And yet we focused on their purpose instead of diving right into their conflict first. Why are they here today? Yeah. What is it at work that matters to them? What, what is it about their work with specific stories that makes their employees' lives better, their community better, the world better, and listen to each other and interview each other? And that's as simple as it was. And this room full of people who expressed they had conflict with direct reports and difficulties, they literally lit up the room. There was a, a, there was a palpable shift in energy. And that's what I would suggest you do is focus on the strengths, even though that's counterintuitive before you jump into, I need to tell this person and speak my mind about what they're not doing well. How are you feeling? What can I do to help you? And let's, fo let's focus on purpose. Why are we all here? Yeah. Wow. I love that. And I so agree that maybe at times we're stuck and caught in these conflicts because we lose out or miss out on that larger purpose. And not only do I miss out on that larger purpose, maybe, you know, in that process, then I, uh, you know, miss out on aligning my team also with that bigger purpose. You know, so everybody's kind of stuck in the trivia in their own stuff. And um, that's beautiful. So you're saying bring in reconnect them to their purpose, remind them of, of what they're here for. And, uh, and that's kind of lights you, lights you up. Sorry. Wow. So, uh, yeah. One, yeah. So uh, one more thing that as you were talking um, and you spoke about being mindful of, um, you know, what the other people may be going through and, and their actions may be coming from a certain place. Uh, does it also involve at times within the conflict, we being a little hard on ourselves? Anybody who's there, like at an individual level, it could be a leader, a team member, a colleague, whoever, and being harsh on ourselves um, in the face of that conflict, beating ourselves. So the other side of it, hey, it's yeah. you, you're doing this because of you, 
I'm not supposed to do it. You're supposed to work. That's one side of it. The other where I think, oh, I didn't even do this. I can't even manage this. Maybe I'm not. So the other side of it where, you know, I just start beating myself. Does that happen yeah. too? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that you see that with people who are perfectionists who want everything to work out just as they planned and focus on the two things that didn't work out instead of the 30 things that worked out. So this comes back to what we spoke about earlier with journaling is that you, if you're obsessing, ruminating, which is when the thoughts go around in your head over obsessed thoughts like this, same thoughts, the way to deal with those thoughts is not just try, just get, you know, I, I don't like when people say, just let it go. Just mm -hmm. let it go. I hate that. You can't let it go. If your mind, your mind has a mind of its own, your thoughts, you thousands of thoughts. What you can do are a series of things. If you're hard on yourself, the first is back to journaling stream of consciousness, write down all the things that you're upset about. Like we said, it goes back to that journaling protocol. The next step with that journaling protocol is ask yourself the things you did right in that meeting. So not everything was bad. And this is very tangible and specific. So if you and I are having this meeting, for example, I had a meeting the other day. It wasn't a conflict. It was with a potential client. And the client asked me a question I've never been asked before. And it was, I didn't know how to answer the question. It was almost like, tell me something negative about this or this or this. And I tend to focus on the positive. So I drew a bit of a blank. And I said to my wife afterwards, I don't know how to answer. I didn't know if I evaded that question. I don't know if I answered it correctly. Here's what I said. So I actually told it to my wife. I said, this is how I answered this question. She said, oh, that sounds pretty good to me. She, she didn't care. She said, oh, that sounded pretty good. And that didn't help me fully, even though I, my wife is my best friend. We talk. So I wrote it down. I wrote down because it was still bothering me. Here's what the question was, I, if I remember. Here's what I said. Would I have said it any differently? And I said, well, maybe I would have said this or this. But what I did is I had prepared. So I wrote down, I prepared the best I could. I was like you and I, I was here early. I had a suit on for this client call and I was ready to go. That's all I had control of. I was prepared. I didn't know what she was going to ask or they were going to ask. I answered the best I could after doing this every week, pretty much for the last four years. So I have a little bit of experience. And then, like you said, instead of beating myself up, the process of writing it down, it let me give myself a break, which is the opposite of being hard on yourself. Give yourself a break because you're not perfect. The people you're speaking with aren't perfect. And actually being imperfect is more human than mm -hmm. looking invincible. People don't always like people who seem too perfect. They mm -hmm. seem too self-reliant. It's okay, it's even better if you trip over a word, if you don't pronounce something perfectly, if you make a little mistake, that makes you a little more approachable. So sometimes the mistakes you think are going to make other people judge you uh, in a way you don't want to be judged. You don't can't read their mind. And yet it might make it you look more, uh, more like them, more relatable. Mm. Yeah. And uh, to your second point, no, not to the second, but my second point on this, other than journaling and, and writing out those things is, this might be obvious, go exercise. 
go for a walk because we can't change sometimes if we're hard on ourselves. That's part of our attitude. Like it, people will feel that anxiousness. We'll be literally uptight. Our body language will have a more abrupt tone, even though it has nothing to do with you. Like you said, you're bringing it in. You can't change your attitude and you can't change those thoughts just like by letting go. You can change your physiology. And by changing your physiology, you change your thoughts or quiet them down. So I find that journaling and yoga, I do kundalini yoga about three days a week and I lift weights wow. the other. It's too cold to now do, uh, to, to go walking too much in Canada right now. It's about minus five degrees. Um, I, when I can, I walk in nature, but definitely kundalini yoga and journaling, it gives me a groundedness that I might still feel a little bit uncomfortable with whatever that thing I'm hard on myself. But it goes from about an eight out of 10 or a seven out of 10 to like a two out of 10, which I can manage. Yeah. 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 Wow. Interesting. Uh, JB, there's, there's a, you know, a lot of uh, stuff around favoritism and, and this I'm picking up from what you just spoke a, a while back where you talked about how a leader or a manager can you know, mediate, uh, you know, in a conflict situation between two of his teammates or a similar situation. And uh, so how do you think, you know, should this happen or this be done uh, at a leader's level where there's a lot of talk around favoritism or there's he's biased or he prefers my colleague over me, doesn't want me to grow and things like those and which kind of further create the negativity and everything. So what the, how does how should a leader handle this? Well, it's, you use the word favoritism or say for example, someone you heard as a manager mm. or as a CEO that you're that you seem to that you seem to be favored uh, showing favoritism toward another member of the team. Yeah. So before I would do a big mediation or a big town hall with the whole group if this is one person, I would keep it to that person at first. And I would ask to have a conversation with that person. I would um, tell them upfront what it's about. I wouldn't make it a secret. Say, I'd like to talk to you about this because I've heard that you're upset with me or you're disappointed or, you know, be honest, like be transparent that, that this is the way it is. You could say it to their face or you could email it to them, but be brief. Uh, I'd love to make an appointment to talk, to hear what you have to say. So the first is don't blindside someone is address it, be open about it. Don't be defensive. Don't be reactive. Meaning like, how dare you say this? I heard should be a very objective tone. If you're not sure about the tone of your email, put it in draft, don't send it and ask, uh, ask someone maybe outside of work. If you read this email, would you find offense? Is it objective? And this is also possibly a cultural thing. It okay. might be different in India than in Canada and in how yes. that email might be, right? So it might be someone who understands you, understands the culture, um, right? I You might not show it to me because it I, I'm objective and I might be considered uh, knowledgeable about this. You might show it to someone who is within your area and oh. is in the business, but maybe not in the company. And yeah. then the next thing I would do is after I do send that email, 
And I do, and that, and I've told this person I'd like to talk about, I want to set a time. When would work for you next Tuesday or Wednesday? Let's set a time, give them some options. And then once they agree to it, which mm -hmm. assuming they're going to agree, yeah. they might deny it. And you might say, okay, that's fair. I'd like to still talk with you anyways, to hear what you have to say. Then you go into the meeting and there's a few things. I have my phone here only for time, but no phone. That phone is dangerous in a meeting because it makes you look like a weak leader and makes you look inattentive. You're not going to look at your phone. You're going to be fully present. You and I are fully present now. Set the meeting one-on-one. -on -one. I would then go through that process of empathy, evaluation, and elevate them in that meeting. Even if this is what leaders find difficult, okay? I'm, I'm almost laughing because a leader will hear this and might giggle too. Even if you know they're wrong, even if you know you're not showing favoritism, even if you know you are being falsely accused, I'm not talking about something major, just a favoritism or a little bit of bias or giving someone another a project that even if you know this is not true and unfair, you're going to bite your lip, but not bite your lip, the expression. You're going to listen. You're going to lean in. You're going to get curious and ask them why they think that. You're going to go, oh, really? You're not going to interrupt them, though. You promise me you won't interrupt them. Let them go. Let them go on, even if they're ranting. I'm ranting right now, on and on and on, blah, 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 blah. As long as they're not rude or disrespectful, you might have to say, please speak with me with respect. I expect that. So set a boundary. If they're just frustrated and they're talking like this and like, you did this and you did this, that is where it's about them and not you. And let them go, even if, it, if it's three minutes. Three minutes can feel like an hour. But let them go. And then as soon as they're literally out of breath, <sighs> You can then say, thank you for sharing that. You know, I didn't know that you felt that way. I appreciate it. So what I'm hearing is you think I am showing favoritism with Joanne. Yes, that's what I'm saying. Or no, what I'm saying is you're showing favoritism for Jennifer. Oh, with Jennifer. Thank you for correcting me. Because one of the most underused ways to manage conflict is listen deeply. Mm -hmm in a way you've never listened before. So much so that you have to put your ego at the door behind me and you have to keep it out and not allow your ego to come in. The ego gets defensive and says, you know, almost like I saw this kangaroo on TikTok, which looked like it was about to fight. You know, like you have to put away your inner kangaroo ready to fight and just say, I'm going to be almost like a enlightened human being. How would the Buddha deal with this how would you the guru of your choice deal with this calm mindful grounded not taking it personally allowing that person and being a mirror upon that person reflecting back what you're hearing and if you do that they're going to be much more receptive to you they're going to think oh wow I did not, I thought this person, this my boss was going to come in and say, you're wrong. Absolutely not. I don't show favoritism. You're not going to do that. And watch. And it doesn't matter if it's India or Canada here. I feel this works with everyone. People want to feel heard. They want to feel understood. And they want to feel that their manager sees them, like sees them, sees into them, empathizes with them, understands their situation. 
And you know what's going to happen if you do that? I can give you more in-depth mediation strategies. We can go there after if you want. This, my friends, is going to spread like wildfire, the good kind of fire within the company. Because this person, just like we said, people gossip. They also talk positively sometimes. And if someone says, so how did that meeting go with my boss? They're going to say, well, she listened. <laughs> she, oh yeah, but what did she say? What did she say she's not showing favorites? No. She said, yes, and I hear you. Yes, and I believe that's how you feel. And I understand that. I actually could have done this better. And that's another thing. Mm -hmm. If you want to take your leadership to another level, mm -hmm. it's okay to admit that you've made a mistake or two. That yeah. shows a little bit of vulnerability. Now, another conversation is who should you not admit mistakes to? I would not necessarily admit it to a narcissist. A mm -hmm. narcissist might hold it against you. Sometimes people say, well, that's all nice, but what if someone is, a narcissist is a manipulator, ego-driven, is looking for your weaknesses, is looking for arguments just as a game? Yeah. Those people exist within our greater culture universally. I know people like that. So there's always exceptions. What we just said here is, I would say a normal person, a person who is emotional, but still can be rational and is, uh, might have an ego because we all have egos, but doesn't have an ego to the point like a narcissist because narcissists can't change. It's, it's terrible to say, but no matter what you say, no matter how kind you are, empathetic, they might use that against you. I would say to the nor average normal person, this will work. And narcissists, you might have to take a different approach. You might have to set boundaries, be careful what you say. Gray rocking is, instead of going through this whole process we said, it's just tell them only what they need to know or listen to them and set boundaries and don't be in contact with them more than you need to. So that's mm -hmm. a very different approach, but yet that's the one exception. There's a level of arrogance that's very hard to crack and it's not about you. You might just have to manage their ego as long as the CEO wants them there. Mm. Yeah. So Jamie, what you're talking about are quite a few things and managing with uh, you know, a lot of things where you're saying understanding whether it's a normal person or a narcissist or, uh, you know, and, and then doing all of this. Would you agree or would you say that for a leader to begin working on, um, you know, cultivating this whole, um, you know, act of uh, listening to people, empathizing and then because we are, you know, so sucked, we get easily sucked into this whole ego thing. And then again, oh, no, 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 how dare he kind of a thing. And then maybe we regret it later. But would you would you suggest that leaders reach out for some professional help, which is maybe hiring a coach or or in some way reaching out to their organization and HR or whatever? so that they can really uh, get intentional and have the required support to cultivate this habit of responding a certain way rather than again being a slave to their own limiting beliefs or you know their habits learned behaviors yeah i'm a believer in professional growth because mm -hmm. even if it doesn't even if you don't think it's applicable in every situation yeah. The process of reflecting on that particular leadership development or learning is going to make you a better person because 
every step of the way, you're going to be asking yourself, how do I deal with this situation? What would I do? And you're going to take something like my wife today went to, she's a department head at a big high school in our area. And she just went to a training today. And I said, oh my God, I, I can't, I, I want to hear about this. I do this with business groups and you're learning it with teachers. And it's a restorative circle. It's at the end of a session. How do you honor people for what they learned and what they're grateful for? And so my wife is spending a day not teaching high school, but learning. And she's excited about it. And I'm excited to talk to her about it. So even if that training is not exactly what she expected, mm -hmm. she's going to come away with something valuable yeah. that she can integrate into her life. This is what I believe is that, you know, you mm -hmm. it is really true. What you put into something, you get out. So like you said earlier, you picked up on the word intentional. Mm -hmm. We don't have times to learn everything. Yeah. I would say, what's one thing you already do well and build on that? So for me, one thing I know I do well is experiential adult business learning. I can get a, a group of people in a room and I can help them trust each other and me within a very short amount of time and get them opening up so that they can grow and learn. I know I'm good at that. Yeah. What do I need work on? Well, I often need work on some of the business side of what I do. And that's a weak, that's an area that I'm not particularly good at. So I have gone out and I've gotten help by people who can help me expand my business with certain areas that I need support in. So I'm not going to learn everything, but I might dive deeper into more advanced nuances of experiential learning. And I might, like I've already done, with both. I have, you know, went out and got a tax lawyer and a visa lawyer and blah, blah, all these different people, because that's not my expertise. And I, I'm looking to them to say, help me grow. You're the expert. What do I do? And so I absolutely say, look at your business, look at your leadership and say, what's one thing you do really well? Or ask people around you, what, what, what are my strengths? Even though that might be awkward for certain people, ask someone you trust. What do I do? Well, you're, you're got, you have really good emotional intelligence. And I would say dive deeper into emotional intelligence, take an advanced course with Daniel Goleman or someone like that, and then look at an area you need work on. And like you said, don't beat yourself up and say, okay, I might need work on communicating mm -hmm. in a one-on-one. -on -one. So let me hire a coach or let me take a training session in person or, and it doesn't have to be a two-year course. It doesn't have to be a, it could be, there's a lot of great courses out there yeah. and devote one week to it and say, I'm going to learn as much as I can this week. And I'm going to more importantly, apply one thing I learned, just one micro thing. Yeah. And then that's how we get better. We get better with iterating with micro steps, not these big changes. Try to get 1% better every month. And that's a significant shift in your leadership. Mm. Lovely. This one last thing around where we're saying this is how the leaders should conduct themselves in, in situations of conflict. If you reverse the scenario where you you're at a you know at a subordinate level and you have a leader, how do you handle or manage or navigate this situation when maybe you know the leader is not being supportive or is not responding in a way that you would desire? Um, so how does one navigate that? Of course, one thing that people resort to is quickly, oh, let me quit, get into another organization, and in the hope that maybe things are going to be better there, which may, may not happen. So how does one handle? 
I think it depends on the situation and the relationship you have with that boss or that leader. And um, it's some of the tools we spoke of today can be helpful with that. I think the first thing is, again, get out a piece of paper and say, what do I ultimately want? That's the really important question. What, what do I hope to achieve? What are the outcomes I hope to get out of this conversation? Before you even approach that person, write down two or three things. Well, I want to raise. I want this person to start respecting my opinions more. I want this person to not say negative things or criticize me in front of my peers, whatever that is, and write that down. I think that's the most important thing. What Ask the question, what do you ultimately want? And write it down and go as deep as possible. Reflect on that. Give yourself a day. Come back to that. Highlight the key points. And then what I would do is reverse some of the things we talked about. I would approach that person mm -hmm. in, in writing first. Uh, it's good. Have a paper trail. Say, I would like to talk to you about this issue or that issue, professional, objective, no tone. And then based on what that person said, that leader said, sure, we can talk, set a time, what, what date works for you. These are logistics, but these matter. It's a professional. You want always a written path, especially if this leader might be, again, the extreme, but more narcissistic or, you know, it's called um, gaslighting. Gaslighting is they don't acknowledge the facts or they or they shape they blift they they shift blame on you so that that's a nightmare boss mm -hmm. but there are bosses like that for sure so a normal boss it should be kind of straightforward where you want you what do i ultimately want in this conversation i have a plan that may be where some training is i might research how to ask for a raise how to ask for what i want there's lots of books and things if you just google that or chat gpt to give you some guidance and then what I would do is I'd practice that. Like when I'm on a TV show, I might practice my four-minute segment. I would practice just like with the written out conversation. Mm -hmm. What do I want to say when I go into the meeting? That's the empathy. What are the facts? The facts are this happened, this happened, this happened, and I'd like this to stop. So you're setting a boundary. I don't want this person is being bullying me, and I want to be respected. And then what you ultimately want comes in. This is what I ultimately, even before they say it, this is what I want. I want to, you know, I want you, I, I, I need you to address this bully in the office because it's making it unsafe for me to work here. Mm. Or I would like a raise. And this is the language around like how you're going to ask for the raise because this is the value I add to the team. If you're asking for a raise, if you're asking for a promotion, you've got to let them know this is the value you add now and the value of what could be the vision of how you can help moving forward. And at the end of the conversation, you can gently, respectfully ask, but firmly ask for accountability. If the, if the boss is uh, a real leader, they will say, I'll get back to you on this next Tuesday. Let me just work things out. And you say, wonderful. So can I follow up with you at Tuesday at 4.30? Yes. Or... If they're more narcissistic, they might brush it off. They might blame you. They might try to turn this into an argument. You're not going to get into an argument with them. You're not going to get an argument with a boss or a, or a direct report who's narcissistic. You're going to stick to your plan. You're going to be professional. You're going to be poised like I am right now. It's very hard when you're emotional and you are just going to say one word answers. Like I said, I, de I, I deserve and I demand respect. And I'd like to see this change. I'm going to, oh, well, that's not going to happen. Okay. 
it, it's going to happen or we're going to have to have another conversation about what the next steps I can take. So with a narcissist, you're going to be speak less, be very direct, show no emotion. It's called mm -hmm. gray rocking. Yes. No, I see. You think it's my fault. Okay. You're not going to say anything else. And you're going to leave there still with accountability saying, when can I expect this behavior to change? When is this going to happen? I know you say that it didn't happen. When is this going to happen? Because this is how I experienced this bullying. When are you going to stop doing this? Or when are you going to start doing this? And you might have to end the conversation and say, okay, I said what I feel and I expect to change and I expect to change by this time frame. And uh, when can I expect blah, 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 blah. No matter what they say, then you're going to cut off the meeting and then you might have to regroup, go to sleep because you're so exhausted from dealing with mm -hmm. that, but you're not going to get into an argument if it's a narcissistic boss. A regular boss, this should be still nerve wracking, but there's a process. The narcissist, you have to set boundaries. You have to say without emotion what you expect and then hold them accountable with facts, with a paper trail, with a narcissist, always have a paper trail, always email them so they can't say later, this never happened. And the first is easier to deal with. The narcissist is difficult, but I know you can get through it because I've gotten through it. And it took me a while as being an emotional person, sensitive person and an empath because uh, sometimes then often the narcissist leader will target the empath. This has been proven over and over by experts, PhDs and things. They like going after the empath, the sensitive person, because for different reasons is another conversation. So even if, if, especially if you're like me and a little sensitive and, and, and more of an empath, and you're dealing with, a, with an overbearing authoritarian boss, you know those people, big ego, borderline narcissist, that is objective. You really have to write it down beforehand. What do I ultimately want? What is my objective? I'm not going to get emotional. I'm not going to get objective. I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to show anger because that's what they want. They get supply from that. They get a high from that. It's weird. It's, it's creepy, but they mm -hmm. like to see you upset. You're not going to allow the bully to bully you. You're going to set a boundary. You're going to say, when can I expect this to change? And then you're going to follow up in writing. And if it doesn't change, you have a choice. You can stay with the job or you might have to leave the job if it doesn't change because narcissists won't change. A real leader will change and will humble themselves, especially a servant leader. They will mm -hmm. say, maybe I'm at fault here and maybe, or maybe I can give you a raise because you do deserve it, whatever that might be. Wow. Wow. wow, wow. That was beautiful. I think, um, you know, in a, uh, a very powerful way, you kind of brought the whole gist. I'm sure this is like one big thing in itself and uh, something that can be worked on massively. So what I'm hearing, uh, Jamie, while managing conflicts is um, something we talk about quite often. And, um, you know, we say, okay, this is how you can do it. But this in itself is a whole journey of, um, you know, a lot of self-awareness, understanding yourself, understanding the other person, being so mindful, being present. And all of this needs a lot of practice, I believe. You know, it's not about you getting it right or wrong or whatever it's about you doing it continuously and, and focusing on who you are being as you navigate like you said a normal leader versus a narcissist and how do you deal with each one of them and and some some things which you just spoke about just you know add on if I miss out certain major things but I think these were beautiful where you said as a leader 
to look for uh, you know three reasons massively which kind of uh, lead to conflicts is one where there's a gap in effective communication you spoke about people not feeling safe the psychological safety and not being not feeling acknowledged appreciated um, you know those are the three big ones you spoke about the importance of journaling and i think that is beautiful and uh, you know very very powerful where you said no matter what uh, you journal because i think that gives you a lot of clarity it also leads to a lot of preparedness what i'm hearing like when you were talking about the narcissist boss you're prepared you've already told yourself i'm not getting emotional i'm not crying and that just kind of uh, makes it very intentional so you said uh, you write down the facts you write down what you're scared of what are your fears and what do you really desire should happen hope to happen you spoke about stream of consciousness um and then the three e's very very powerful i love the elevate bit so you said empathize evaluate and then elevate and um the one thing that you said correct me if i'm wrong where you said uh what said the last last something like that right and yeah. people remember how you leave them feeling which is where the whole elevate comes in so no matter what what kind of a conflict it is how intense uh how mild but you elevate the other person the person who's right there and yeah exactly and one big one where you said what do i really want i i just felt that you know somewhere a lot of times we miss on the clarity you know i i don't even know what i desire oh he's a uh, he doesn't listen to me oh there's favoritism there's this conflict okay but what do you really want there i i don't know i just don't want this to be there but what do i want i don't know so i think when you talk about journaling and knowing what do i really want and approaching it from there it's a very powerful combination and um, yes so i i'm sure all those people all of you all the leaders who are listening to this um you you know uh, what jamie specializes in you know uh, you would have heard as you heard him you know what he stands for and and within this there is a lot of work of course jamie made it a very compact one for all of us but there's a lot of depth to it there's a lot of stuff right behind where a lot of work is needed that's what he does with organizations with leaders with business owners and uh, if you think you need that support if you think uh, that's what you know you're suffering with or dealing with within your team within your organization please reach out to jamie i mean uh, within this we i'm going to be tagging jamie putting uh, you know his linkedin handle there so you can connect with him reach out to him follow him there's some amazing content that he puts out on um, the platform and uh, jamie a- anything that i missed out which you think you you know this is what i want to add on and also your last words the listeners yeah, well, that, that was a superlative summary of uh, our talk so thank you for that uh last words are you can do this you can develop these traits leaders are not born they're made and leadership skills are absolutely things that you can make and create for yourself and get to wherever you want to go as a leader just take that first step and we gave you several steps that you could take today lovely lovely the big one that i'm taking jamie is journal yeah this was a different perspective to journaling that you brought in and that was very very powerful thank you so much for that lovely lovely to have you here uh, this was very very enriching 
And thank you so much for your time. Totally loved it. Thank you. My pleasure. Loved it too. Have an amazing day. Thank you for watching this week's episode of Asta Unplugged series on hashtag Happy Me Podcast. Now, if at any point you resonated and you could sense this possibility for you to express your higher potential and you're absolutely committed that I no longer want to be stuck in my limiting beliefs, the thoughts, the limiting feelings, emotions, and then the behaviors and all of that that holds me back from creating what I desire, then reach out to us. All you need to do is type in the word thrive on LinkedIn, Facebook, or Instagram, whatever works for you. The word is thrive and we will reach out to you. We will connect with you and let's together explore how you can move beyond all these barriers and create, turn into the possibility that you are, the beautiful person that you are, but somewhere that's hidden, you're holding it back, right? This is your opportunity. The word is thrive, either LinkedIn, Facebook, or Instagram. I look forward to connecting. Thank you.